He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhuskers site of being around during the college football offseason. Today, we're talking with Brett Baker, executive producer for 1011 News in Lincoln, Nebraska. I have no idea what an executive producer actually does, and that's why I am going to talk to (laughs) Brett today. How are you, Brett? I'm well, John. How are you, buddy? Um, I'm scratchy. I've got the scratchy throat thing going. I had to drink a bunch of tea. I really should learn more from professionals how to get out of that, but when I got up this morning, I had the Chris Christopherson voice going, and uh, I don't think anybody wants to hear me sing, so. (laughs) A couple lines from Convoy? Come on. (laughs) Okay, so what is an executive producer? It sounds very high profile, very fancy. Fancy is probably not the right word, but it sounds very, well, like you're in charge. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, uh, we have five shows every day. And then in addition to the show that we, you know, shows we have here in Lincoln, we're in a little different kind of situation. We own stations in um, Hastings, uh, North Platte, and Scotts Bluff as well. So to a little, I have a little limited role with those folks as well. But uh, mostly, I oversee um, the shows uh, in terms of making sure that they look and sound and are presented, you know, kind of in the way that we we envision our news being put out. Um, a lot of it is um, is other stuff. Now I used to, you know, you, when you're coming up as a producer, you you just make TV shows. That you, you know, you I'd build a, you know, for. 11 years in San Antonio, I built a sportscast because I was a sports producer there. And here I started out doing the morning show, uh, which was a two-hour show every day. And then I moved to the 6 and 10 o'clock, which are half hours, but a little more busy and uh, definitely different than the morning. But uh, from, you know, an overall deal, I just kind of like oversee all those. Uh, also, too, is, you know, we help in the, I help in the decision-making of, you know, story, story direction, um, how, you know, a reporter is going to make something look. A lot of it, too, because we're market 111, and this is where we get a lot of young folks who, who start out is a lot of it is, is like mentoring, uh, you know, kind of coaching, guiding, teaching, um, you know, how to put together a good story, uh, how to, uh, you know, make your your work the most visually compelling for our viewers so that not only do they get something out of it, but, you know, hopefully they're like, oh, that was good. I want to come back. And then there's there's a million other things. Um, there's uh, always projects going on uh, coming up. You know, we've got special shows that I'll be working on, elections, or we have Our Town, uh, which is a four-time-year series, and I'll help produce those specials. And they, it, there's, never, there's never, like, one thing. It's always, like, nine million little weird things that I know exactly what to do and, you know, go to work and do, but it's very tough to kind of explain. So... Um, yeah, it's just, a, it's kind of a, a master of, of all and, uh, kind of thing. And, and whatever the day brings is kind of what you, what you, what you, you end up doing, but I don't really do a TV show, uh, on a daily basis anymore. So I, I kind of miss that part a little bit, but, uh, yeah, so it's a little bit of everything. Uh, and you can't really like say any one day, oh, this is exactly going to be it. So 
you just kind of like roll with whatever the day brings. You you have to deal with about you have to juggle a lot of things in your head all of the time. Is that an incorrect statement? No, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, because there's always things like, oh, this I can do right now, but uh, I also have time to get this done, which isn't due for whenever. And so, yeah, there's there's a bunch of different things that generally are kind of happening at once. So when they go into like you said, you do five shows. You're, or you the station does five shows, right? Right. So how far ahead of time? I mean, if you're going to do, let's say, I assume you do a show at like six p.m. How far ahead of time do you have that show arranged? So uh, six o'clock show, the the crew is in by two. We have our, our afternoon meeting at two o'clock. It usually lasts a half hour, um, and by two thirty, you're you're throwing what we call slugs. You know, whatever you title the story, and you uh, you're throwing that in the rundown. You figure out you know how many reporters. You know, usually if we're lucky, you'll have two or three reporters in a in any given show, and you you know you figure out are they going to be live? Are they going to be in the studio? Is it a package? Is it what we call a vosat, which would just be like a piece of video and a soundbite? Um, you figure out how you're going to treat it. You figure out where you're going to put them, and if they are in the station or in the studio, where we're going to put them. We have multiple different sets, so you do all that stuff uh, starting at like two two thirty, and um, you know my goal was always to be done with the show by five thirty, so that if anything happened in that last thirty minutes. I could react to it pretty quickly. Uh, so I try to get the, the folks to do that too, but um, it's tougher. A lot of them are younger. So, um, you know, I know all the old dog tricks, I guess. So I, I'm able to do that. Um, but a lot of times too, is, you know, we're the news. We're not the olds. So it's it's reacting to stuff that's happened. And there's always stuff that happens between 2.30 and 6 o'clock. So you've got to adjust and figure out how to include that new content. So this is one job in which experience is really extremely helpful. You can't just walk up and start doing this. Right, right. Yeah, definitely, yeah, having a few miles on my um, on the tires is, is better than not because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're young and starting out, especially like, you know, live TV, I remember my first week in San Antonio, I had come from a place where I was doing like a TV news magazine with the Air Force, so I, um, you know, we had a lot of time to prepare and get ready and it was pretty nice and easy going. But then when it's live TV, that's a whole different beast. And I just remember the first week, every day when I came home, I felt like an elephant had been sitting on my chest and I'd somehow survived. I'm like, oh my God, I can't do, you know, a year of this, let alone like 20 or 25 years of this. Um, but eventually you figure it all out and you see everything and, and it just kind of like, I always think of it like as a, um, you know, the quarterback in the NFL says the game just slowed down. At a certain point, the game slows down, and, and you just kind of, like, figure it all out, and nothing scares you anymore. So, And then it just becomes fun. That's, that's the fun part. Live TV is the best uh, because it's, you know, it, it's this kind of evolving thing that you can mold in your vision, and how well do you handle, you know, the changes, you know, stuff happens, reporters, you know, uh, lose their interview, lose a camera shot, whatever. So how can you adjust? Um, so that was always the fun part. But, yeah, being able to have seen and done that, you know, getting reps helps in the slowing down process. So you've, you're, you've been around for 25 years. Uh, yep. Let's see. This year will mark my 30th year in broadcasting, actually. Wow. I think I've been around in 30 years of IT consulting. And during that time, technology is 
Uh, wow. The, to, the changes we've gone through have been unbelievable. I can't imagine what they're like for you guys. I mean, we, we were yeah. on the sideline at the Minnesota-Nebraska game, and you were holding a video camera or some kind of video. What was it, a tablet? No, it was just my iPhone. And you said it was uploading video to the cloud and somebody else would be cutting it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I can carry, you know, everything I need pretty much. In a, I've got an equipment bag that's about the size of a shoebox, and I've got my own tripod, you know, that if I need it, I can, you know, we, we, we can use it. But, yeah, I can do everything uh, now with my iPhone, essentially, as, you know, the main hub um, that used to take a satellite truck to do. It's amazing. But at the same time, hasn't that made a frenetic process even more insane? No, because you, you pick up time on the backside. So, like, it used to be like you would have to you know, oh, shoot, my. get your interviews, get this, that, the other. And then you would have to hustle and get it turned around so that the people back, you know, in the station could get it cut and put it up on the air. Well, now they can get that stuff in almost real time. Or it's like, yeah, you go up on – we have an app called TVU, which uh, – uh, allows us to, whenever you see a live shot or a remote shot, um, most folks today are, are using something either called a TVU or a live view. And it's, again, it's like about the size of a shoebox, but instead of using satellite signals now, we use uh, cell cell towers. And whereas like your phone or my phone has one cell card in it, um, these boxes will have like five cell cards in it. So that's how you can get a beautiful, you know, HD, uh, zero glitchy picture. So if you're using that or using my phone, you know, we can, we can be sending stuff back to the shop real time. And then, so you're gaining 15, 20 minutes there and you don't have to turn it around. They're getting it right then. So it actually, you know, it has made things easier in a lot of respects. Can we talk about what makes the news, the news, or should we go there? <laughs> sure. No, we can totally do that. Okay. When, when I talk to people, you know, people get angry and you see them on social media like Facebook, which is hell anyway, but uh, you see them on social media and they'll ask the question, why is this news? And in my personal life, a lot of times I describe how the news works is when it's up, tear it down. When it's down, build it up. Is that a fair statement or am I just a jerk? Um, <laughs> it, can't it be both, John? Um well, true. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no, I, I think that the question we always ask ourselves is, um, is this important? Uh, if yes, why is it important? Uh, and then to whom is it important? Um, you know, I know that the cycle thing and the build it up and tear it down thing, I know that I think that probably happens more on maybe like the network level. Um, as far as local news, you know, I'm much more interested in um, keeping, uh, you know, our, our audience informed about, you know, the South Loop Beltway project or, um, you know, what's happening down at the ledge or crime, you know, what's happening, you know, with, you know, the string of robberies that are going on in North Lincoln or whatever. Um, I'm much more interested in that than like, oh, can we take, you know, uh, what can we do about this politician? You know, what can we... You know, and I don't care what side you're on or whatever. I mean, there's always somebody that you're like, this guy is a pain in the butt. So let's let's figure out how to make life miserable for him. We don't have, I don't know, A, we, that's never going to be our kind of mission. But, um, we, you know, the resources and stuff to do that. And, and I think what you get out of that, it, 
you're going to expend way more than you're going to get out of that. So for us, it's it truly is about what can we do to keep our, our um, audience informed and, and engaged and coming back to us for more. Okay, so the other thing people will do is, for example, there's a Husker football player that I don't want to bring up the sexual assault stuff with Andre yeah. Andre Hunt and Caterin Lagone. I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, Katerian. Katerian Lagone. Uh, I mean, that, that's obviously news. Sure. But a lot of times there's other minor stuff that happens with Husker football players who are on the roster and people go, why is this news? If somebody else did X, they wouldn't be on the news. This is unfair. How do you respond to that? Uh, I, and honestly, I think it's a good question. It's a question that we have all the time, and there have been plenty of things that we'll, we'll see that if you go back and do a Google search as compared to other folks, we don't cover. Um, because I think – and that's one of the things I really, really like and appreciate about the 1011 Newsroom. I think we have um, a level of talent that exceeds our market number. I think we're very blessed in that regard because we do sit down and we have very serious conversations um, about why or why not should we cover this? Because in most times we say, okay, look at the circumstances. They were caught with X amount of marijuana or whatever it is. Um, would we care if this was another university of Nebraska student? And if the outcome was like, oh, well, they got it, you know, lifted from them, you know, at their dorm room, then no, nobody cares. So there's there were plenty of the times when, when things have happened. Um, and unfortunately, like with the, the case of the two young men who are, you know, going through the court system now and uh, have been recently charged with, with sexual assault, um, we had that story quite a bit before it went anywhere. But at that time, nothing had happened. So instead of... Uh, because they charges hadn't been filed. Um, the investigation was, we could not determine where it was with regards to LPD or anybody else. So we had it. Um, but eventually the, the young woman, um, went to ESPN and once ESPN started, um, digging in, then the, the city, uh, and law enforcement and, and I guess probably the, the, the district attorney's office changed maybe a little bit in what they were doing because that kind of broke everything free. And then, all right, now we're seeing some traction and things happen, but there are plenty of times when there's stuff that like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't care. There's been examples where um, a complaint has been filed and uh, I'm not going to bring up names for the exact reason that we, we didn't name names then. Um, but, you know, complaints filed against a couple guys who were on the team and a lot of other stations went just to the wall with it. And we, again, we sat down and we had the conversation. Well, if this same exact thing was leveled at just any university students uh, and they were not, you know, Huskers, what, what will we do? And the answer is probably nothing until, you know, X, Y, or Z happens, which is what we did is we did nothing at that point. We said, yes, there's an investigation on two university students. We didn't identify them. But um, just because at a certain point, it's like, well, what, everybody's like, well, are you covering up for them now? No, we're not covering up for them. But again, there's lots of opportunity or, or things that, that happen that we wouldn't normally cover. And just because you play for Nebraska doesn't mean you're, you know, you don't get the same kind of consideration. You're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Sometimes. People, yeah, that, people, yeah. people are going to say, well, you're covering up for them or why is this a news story? You're exactly. never going to be right. 
And then, well, but there are sometimes though. So in the case that, that you know, like I'm kind of being vague about, but um, nothing did come of it. Um, nothing was ever pursued. And everybody else had taken these young guys' names and thrown them all around there. And we didn't just once. Now, I don't know uh, if that's like seen, understood, or appreciated um, as much maybe as, as we would like it to be. But I do know that at the end of the day, we could say, well, we did not help contribute to that mess. Um, and we don't, we don't have anything to apologize for. And it's like I said, we've been blessed with some really good leadership. And, and our anchor team is uh, just tremendous. Bill, Bill Shamert and Bridget Fargen, um, excellent critical thinkers along with our news director. And, and it, those are conversations that we had. I don't think people like think like how deep the conversations go, but we do have a lot of deep conversations about how do we approach this. Story. And it's not just with Husker stuff. There's, you know, way more things that happen in the city than, than just Nebraska stuff. And, you know, there's some awful stuff that happens, but we think about the, the victims and, you know, how, how this will affect them. So there are a lot of conversations that happen that I don't think people know or, or appreciate, and they probably shouldn't. I mean, why would they need to? Um, but I just do know that at the end of most days, I can, you know, we can all hold our heads high and say we, we went about it the right way. Well, does it, if you're not doing this, these stories, I mean, how are your ratings in Lincoln? Um, good. I mean, we're, you know, we're blessed in that um, it's a legacy station. I mean, 1011 has been around since the 50s and for a long time was the only source, you know, east uh, or west of Omaha for the entire state. So we kind of have this um, uh, institutional buildup of, of of viewers who like, well, my parents watched it, you know, I watched it, you know, and when I was a kid, I watched it. And um, so we're, we're lucky in that regard. And yeah, we have a bigger, we have a bigger signal than anybody else. Um, we, we still reach across the state, even though there are more, you know, entities out there competing now. So um, I think people do understand and appreciate the, the professionalism of, of our, our, uh, our anchors. I think we have, we're, we compare with anybody in the state. I think, I think Channel 7 is probably who I would most compare us to. Uh, I think they're probably, you know, they are bigger. They, they have a little bit more money. Um, they're in a little bigger market. So, but I would compare us favorably to them in terms of um, style, content, you know, how we go after a story. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, as far as the viewership, you know, I, I think they trust us to, to do the right thing. And I think we do in most cases. I think we're pretty responsible, and I think that pays off with, you know, loyal viewership. Wow. All right. You've won multiple Emmys. How does a guy that's working in Lincoln, Nebraska, which has to be a very, very small market, win multiple Emmys? I mean, are you, are you that good? Do they hand these things out like candy? What is it that goes into winning an Emmy? Okay, well, so there's there's two different layers of Emmys. There's the ones that you're probably thinking of, which, you know, like Game of Thrones or uh, Monday Night Football or whoever. You know, there's the Emmys on the level that they win, and that's this is from the – it's called NATIS, the National Association of uh, Television Arts and Sciences, or National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. And then there's regional chapters, of which there are 12. And so every state in the U.S. falls into one of these 12 regional chapters. Um, and then you compete against uh, everybody else in that market for some categories, other categories, like for us, which were considered small market. 
we just compete against other small market uh, stations. In our case, it would be Nebraska, Colorado, uh, Kansas, and Oklahoma, uh, as I, if I'm thinking about it correctly. So we compete against stations our size in those four states. So it's a much more level playing field. It's not like, um, yeah, you're going to see on one of the week, you know, weeknight on some uh, award show on one of the networks. It's it's a regional Emmy, so it's like the Heartland Emmy. Um, you live in in Minneapolis uh, area there, and you know Boyd Huppert, correct? Okay, uh, I don't know. I rarely watch TV. Oh, anymore. okay. Well, a you should watch Boyd Huppert because he's amazing. But he has a segment called uh, Land of Ten Thousand Stories. He's one of the he's. He's very much like a Steve Hartman or Charles Grault that, that the Minneapolis area is very, very blessed to have. I believe he has won more than 100 Emmys in your area, and that's not even a joke. Um, that's that's actual facts. Um, but, I mean, and you, of course, 100. I, I would, okay, I would put 100 up against somebody's one anytime, you know. But um, uh, So, yeah, so it's a regional thing. So we're only punching against people who are in our same weight class uh, but I do believe we're good. I believe we put out a, a, a superior newscast, and I do think that's why we're rewarded. Um, because there'll be times when people put the, the enter submissions, and the event won't earn enough, or the, the the piece won't earn enough points, and they'll be like, no nominees in this category, which happens. Um, so you know, we've been fortunate to always have multiple shows nominated every year, and and we're on a pretty good streak. I think we've won four in a row now. So uh, for best newscast which I hope, you know, continues this year. So, yeah, that's how it happens. Um, and, you know, it's tough for people to distinguish, and, and I'm not exactly saying, because I don't even want to explain it every time, but, well, there's a national Emmy and a regional Emmy, and this, there's 12 regional Emmys. So, you know, I just say, hey, yeah, you know, we've won five Emmys. So, uh, and it's certainly something I'm proud of. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice thing. Um, it, I think it kind of validates. Last year, the show we won for the shows we won for because we won with two different shows daytime and evening um, was on a day when uh, uh, Nebraska had its first execution in more than 20 years. And it was kind of conflicted about it, but our main anchor, Bill Shammer said something that, that really made sense to me. He said on a day when it was important that we'd be at our best, even if it was a horrible day, we were. And I thought that was really good. And I thought, okay, I can, I, that makes me feel good because then we're giving folks what they need. Interesting. Okay. You're involved in high, high school speech. You are a speech coach. That is correct. Yes. And why do you do this? I mean, you've got, Um, you've got like a gob of things going on with news and executive producer. I mean, why do high school speech? So when I was a kid in high school, uh, I didn't I didn't really find my footing until my sophomore year, um, when one of my teachers kind of noticed my ability to write and kind of be, you know, I'm a, a I don't know if a clown, but I'm I like to think I'm I'm amusing, I'm pretty funny, and um, so she steered me in the direction of our speech coach, and our speech coach was like, "Yeah, you're an entertainment speaker. We're gonna put you in entertainment. Here's what you do." and you know, so the first time ever I sat down to write something that I was going to perform in front of, I don't know how many people during the course of the season. And it gave me a real focus and purpose. And I ended up going to state that year. And I was like, wow, 
this is this is pretty cool. So for the rest of high school, you know, speech was a big deal for me. Um, I enjoyed, you know, not only competing and, and working on my own piece, but helping my, my teammates. But it gave me a real solid footing and an understanding that, you know, because I knew when I was eight years old that I wanted to go on television, which is a weird thing to know then, but I did. Um, but it gave me an understanding that, oh, you know, you probably, you can, you can do this now. So uh, after high school, uh, I joined the Air Force, and, and I was gone for 22 years. But I always thought when I got back, when I came home, because I knew at some point I'd move home, um, I wanted to give back. And so in 2012, when my daughter, uh, who, you know, we raised her down in Texas, um, when she decided to go to the University of Nebraska, I was like, well, if you're going to be at the University of Nebraska, there's no reason for me to stay in Texas. So I moved home with her, and she moved here for college. And one of the first things I did was reach out to one of my buddies uh, from, from high school who is still very connected to the school and involved in a lot of stuff. And I said, um, hey, who's the, who's the speech coach now? What, what do they got going on? And it turns out that that year, our head coach now, she had just been handed the program, and she had never competed in speech. She'd never coached speech. And so I said, hey, I'd love to volunteer and help out in any way I can. And we started out with me just coaching one or two. And then over the season, it kind of grew. And then over the years, it kind of grew. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's about giving back and, and uh, wanting to make sure that somebody leaves Malcolm, you know, kind of with the same enthusiasm and optimism about what they want to do in life that I did, because I think that's pretty invaluable and it's meant a tremendous amount to me. So to be able to do that, you know, or at least attempt to do that on a yearly basis uh, at a place that I truly love and care about, uh, Mean, means means everything to me. It's probably why, you know, I mean, I've gotten some other job offers and bigger markets and more pay and stuff. But uh, as long as Malcolm High School is sitting there and they'll have me uh, as an assistant speech coach, I probably am not going to go anywhere. I never t- did anything with high school speech. And I, I, I regretted it later. I'll tell you that I, I ran in my... As a sixth-year undeclared senior at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, I ran for student body president, okay? And we had this debate, and I sat up on a podium with my two people that were running with me. And during this debate, I realized that I was terrible at public speaking. I realized I was terrified. I realized that uh, I stammered through the entire thing, kind of like I do on this podcast sometimes. but that taught me that I kind of resolved that later I was going to be better at this. Okay. So I graduated, I got a career in IT consulting. I started writing in the computer industry and the magazine I wrote for got me into a business show to speak. All right. It was called the Strictly Business Show at the Minneapolis Convention Center. And I was speaking on the, at the same convention as Andy McPhail, if you remember who that was. I think oh, yeah. he was the man- yep, yep, yep. Yeah, manager of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, the first time I stood up on a stage and publicly spoke to people was in front of 700 people. <laughs> Not I didn't at eat, all. I, I didn't eat for a day. Uh, people said they yelled at me while I was walking by and I didn't hear them. I was absolutely terrified. But I, you know, I didn't die. And right. I went on and, and I continued to speak at conventions. I spec, spoke at conferences about technology and things like that. And uh, I had a public speaking. I wouldn't say it was a career because it advanced my consulting career. But uh, I did. I did kind of enjoy it. But I wish that I would have had 
more of a background in it than to just go, you know what I mean? Start if you're if you're listening to this, don't start with 700 people. Start like I don't know, 20 <laughs> people in a small room. You know what I mean? So I I sure. wish that I would have done high school speech. I wish I wish I would have done, you know, like acting and plays in high school, and I never did that. But uh, I also had no confidence. You said you found your footing when you were a sophomore. I, I really I didn't think I ever found my footing in high school. That was way later until, you know, even in college it was mostly. Well, I was an undeclared senior for crying out loud. What's that tell you about my direction in life? And wilder, <laughs> as it were. You know, the other reason for being an undeclared senior, I'll tell you this story just because I'll tell it. It has nothing to do with this podcast. I discovered as an undeclared senior or an undeclared student in Nebraska, you could take any course you want and they wouldn't take your they would not check your prerequisites. So Whoa, there's a back door. I started taking three and 400 level computer science courses and I'd be in a class and they would call out these other students and tell them they have to leave because they failed the previous class. They never did that until the day I went in to take uh, a computer language called Ada, which was supposed to be the next big computer language. And Celia Daly was teaching the course and she was the head of the computer science department. She sat in front of the class, she called two or three names, and she said, okay, you guys didn't, you know, you failed the prerequisites, you can't take this course yet. And then she goes, John Johnston, you will come and see me after class. And so the class gets <laughs> over and I'm nervous, you know, and she looks at right. me, I walk up to her, she looks at me and she goes, I know all of my computer science students, you are not one of them you are going to tell me how you got into this course. And I think it was literally a, a 400 level course. And, you know, I'm looking at her and, you know, there's situations in which, you know, you can bluff or lie through in life. Right. This was not one of them. And I looked at her and I said, <laughs> okay, so I've recognized, figured out that if I'm undeclared, nobody checks my prerequisites. I really want to learn more about computer science, but I have my own computer. I'm not going through all this other stuff just because that's what you say I need to take. And she looked at me and she said, okay, you can stay in this course as long as you can do the work. But I can guarantee you that after this conversation, you will never and nobody else at this university will be an undeclared student and be able to get in courses that they can't, you know, they're not supposed to be in. So <laughs> I stayed in the course. They think I got to be. I don't even know where I was going with that. I suppose it was about finding direction. Right. Uh, hot That's ones. Story, though. Okay. Hot ones. You've, you've had, number one, I don't know if everybody knows what hot ones is. My children know who you are. And that <laughs> is partially because, well, go ahead and tell us about hot ones. So, uh, internet YouTube series. Um, it's an interview show. First of all, people think it's a wing eating show, but really it's an interview show, which is what drew me to it. But, um, the concept of the show is pretty brilliant. Uh, and if you spend any time like trying to interview people, you, you get it right away. Um, 10 questions over, well, they end up asking more than 10 questions, but questions over hot wings. And with each wing or, or, you know, round of questions, the, the hot wing, the hot sauce on the wing, uh, increases sometimes by a little bit, sometimes it's exponentially. Um, but what that does is then, you know, people go from, um, 
you know, just when, when you interview somebody of a certain level of fame or notoriety or whatever, there's almost always a limit to what they're willing to give up, what they're willing to say, where they're willing to go with the conversation. But what the, what the hot sauce does is it's a, it's a psychological uh, Kickstarter that turns off that part of their brain that's going to limit what they want to talk about or where they want to go. And it just turns on the fight or flight response and how can I get through this, survive, and get the hell out of here as fast as possible. And that just means going through the wings and getting done answering the question because, you know, nobody's going to get up and walk off. Um, so then the dynamic of an interview changes. You're able to get things that you would never uh, have been able to get before, like maybe on The Tonight Show or, uh, you know, CBS This Morning or what have you. Um, because now, now I think my mouth is on fire. What do I have to do to make this stop? Okay, I'll get through the next one and then I'm done. Uh, yeah, what do you want to know? I'll tell you. Just get me out of here. So it's a really brilliant, uh, it's a simple but brilliant concept. Um, but the thing that really drew me to the show, the first time I ever saw it was with Team Peel, and I think that was like 17 or 18 episodes in, so it was still very new then. Um, the thing that hooked me was was the show's host, Sean Evans, um, who I had not seen or heard before. But Sean is, is such a, a smooth, polished, professional uh, operator that as somebody in television, you know, with a background of like, you know, watching people, you know, perform on TV, I was, you know, I was really just drawn to, to him and his abilities and, you know, great research, you know, at that point, nobody, you know, channel say nobody knew who he really was at that point, but everybody knew who Key and Peele was, but he handled that thing like, you know, a ringmaster and it was a thing to see. So I went back and, and binge watched all of those and caught up and, and became a big fan of, of not only the show, but just Sean and, and the, the idea, the concept of, of what they were doing there. So you've had Russell Brand sing to you. <laughs> right. So uh, once I got all caught up on, on the shows, uh, as with most everything on Twitter, I, I did something to kind of amuse myself. Um, I did a power rankings. And at that time, there, like I said, there's only like 18 guests or so that did on the show. So you're going to only leave, uh, you know, if you do a top 10, you're only going to leave eight people off the list. Not a big deal. So I just kind of like did this rough mocked up thing that I thought was kind of funny. And I did, I called it the Hot Ones Power Rankings and, you know, and had 10 folks on there. Prince of Mukamara, uh, I believe was on the, he was like the third or fourth guest on the show. So he was like, he was on my original list because of course, you know, Huskers got to support Huskers. Um, <laughs> and, and Sean saw it, retweeted it and he liked it. And first we feast the, 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 the umbrella company behind uh, Hot Ones and, and the show, they like it, retweeted it. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And so I picked up a little traction, and I, I did it again the next week and got a little bit more traction. And I was like, oh, okay, this is fun. People are digging this. I'm, you know. And so I just kind of kept doing it. And then a few years ago, let's see, this would have been in mm, the end of February, early March of 2017. Um, they always launch a new show on Thursdays. And uh, – so that Thursday, I was out at our high school getting ready. We were going to host our own speech tournament the next day. So uh, I get a message from the show's producer, and who at that point, we'd kind of become friendly, and we'd, you know, exchange messages and talk and whatnot. And uh, he was like, hey, I've got a weird request for you today. And I was like, okay. He goes, can you record yourself watching today's episode? And I was like, 
all right, well, I knew something was up. So I'm like, yeah, sure, man, anything for you guys. It's not a problem. I can do that. And then right before they pushed the show to YouTube, you know, once they, they made it public, uh, I got a tweet from Sean Evans that said, brace yourself. And I think, what the holy heck is really? going on? So I, I put the phone back in my pocket, and I didn't think about it. I went to work. And then 15, 20 minutes later, you know, my phone starts blowing up. I mean, there's tweets and retweets and DMs. And I, I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to spoil the surprise. I don't know what what is happening here, but I know what they asked me to do. So, all right. so I went and I found a quiet room, and I set my gear up. And I watched it, and then yeah, so Russell Brand uh, kind of like made a plea uh, to me to be considered for, as he calls it, which is a very uh, English thing. He calls it the lead table, which is like how the Premier League or soccer leagues—they don't call them standings; they're they're called tables. Um, but he wanted to be at the top of the lead table, and he improvised a minute and a half song to me uh, over going through like every single sauce, which is amazing. I mean, he just like that was like him and Sean in a dark room, you know, with a bunch of cameras and TV lights. And he just riffed and went for, you know, a minute and a half. And he went through all the songs and it was amazing. Uh, they ended up uh, hiring somebody to score music to put under it. So he, but he did it when it was quiet, which I always think is just phenomenal. Um, and so then, yeah, then life just kind of changed and got super, super fun, super interesting for, for quite a while. And it's still, you know, I've still got some notoriety left over from it, but, that eventually led to me coming out to going out to New York. They flew me out there to flip the tables on Sean when they got a million subscribers on YouTube. And I interviewed Sean for an episode of Hot Ones. So I like to say I'm like, I'm the only uh, person without a Wikipedia page that's ever been on Hot Ones. My kids know who you are because, <laughs> you know, we're a, we're a hot sauce house. Uh, I don't, I have had the last dab and for Christmas, my rotten son, the youngest one that goes to the University of Minnesota, got a gift pack of the three of the hot sauces from Hot Ones. I had one of those over the Christmas vacation holidays. And these hot sauces are a step above what I used to make or what I used to have you're, you know, since I had my heart attack, when I had my heart attack, indigestion or heartburn was really the trigger for it. So I have this psychological kind of, I don't go for really massive hot sauces of anymore. And those things are really a step above anything that I've ever experienced. It's really gotten amazing what they, I mean, wow, like tear your head off amazing. Right. It's, uh, I mean, so it's all about, you know, the cultivation of the pepper. And so if you talk about, uh, we're going to go deep into the weeds on, on hot sauce fire. But the, so the last dab, the, the amazing thing about it, that is the pepper that's used in that, which is uh, presently called Pepper X. I don't know if that's always going to be the title because it was a, it was a 10 year project. So the X stands for 10. Um, but it was always, uh, it was, it was cultivated by a guy named Smokin' Ed Curry at Pucker Butt Farms in South Carolina. And um, he kind of, he invented these, uh, that, the Carolina Reaper, he cultivated that so that these, the, you know, more than a million Scoville units or two million or three million Scoville units. Um, he's doing that. Now, the thing I will say that's really impressive about what he does, though, is those are all natural. Like, triple X is, is, that's just natural heat that he figured out how to make. 
Uh, whereas, like, if you ever have De Bomb, which is the infamous number eight sauce on the show, and is truly legitimately terrible, I think that is um, – enhanced isn't the right word, but I think that's one of those that, that they work with whatever the capsaicin is, and they kind of bulk it up, steroid it up. So that whatever it is that they put in there is just like that much off because it's it's only like 115,000 Scoville units, which you know I mean yes that's a lot, but uh, it, <laughs> but it's so much worse than than two million. Compare, I mean, what, a jalapeno pepper is like three thousand, correct? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that fifteen hundred to three thousand range, pretty much nothing. <laughs> so if people can't handle jalapenos, uh, these sauces will probably kill them. Right. And so the funny thing is, is like, I've never before was, was a hot sauce guy. And like, I, that's not why I watched the show. I watched the show because it was an interview show and I love a great interview. And uh, so when I went on the show, that was the first time that I had ever tried anything in that range of hot sauces. So I was, I was a little proud of myself that I was able to just kind of like get through it and not, you know, make a scene or make a fool of myself or cry or whatever. And now I've, I've probably done the gauntlet, you know, it's my party trick now. I've probably done it more than 40 times, I would guess. I think I saw a YouTube of you eating, like, the three hottest peppers in the world. Uh, we, have the, we have the three versions of the last dab. So we, we did the last oh, that's dab. Oh, tested that's them all it. at the same time, yeah. So it was like a triple last dab. And you, you didn't bat an eye. No, I, yeah. No, it's, yeah, now I kind of – because there's – you know, it's kind of fun to test yourself and – you get that little endorphin kick, you know, if it's hot enough. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, sans hair, it's kind of an interesting sensation to have the sweat bead on top of your head. You can just feel it. <laughs> and then, up, oh, and there you go. It's going to roll on my back. Um, hey, that, so, see, yeah, that's, I, your, that's your perspective. When I watched it, I looked at it and said, I wonder if Brett Baker is actually Satan. <laughs> Well, uh, I can tell you that you and my ex-wives have probably thought the same thing then. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Well, we haven't, you know, this is a Husker show, man. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Husker too. I love, you know, all things Nebraska. Uh, I've been, you know, this is where I was born and raised. Interesting side fact, though, my parents are from Ohio. And my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, a huge Ohio State fan. So until I was 11 or 12, it could have gone either way because he kept me really well applied in Ohio State gear here in Nebraska for a long time. But then in junior high, I was kind of like, well, I, go, I can go to a Huskers game. Everybody hears Huskers. So I, I embraced my, and I was born here. So uh, I embraced my, my Huskerness. But yeah, you know, I, and you know, I love what you guys do. And it's been a treat to run into you occasionally in random spots. I was always so, you know, so I remember that spring game. I think it was just this past year that we're walking and you're like, Brett Baker. <laughs> and we met, and I was like, hey, it's actually John. This is great. And then we ran into each other on the sideline of Minnesota this year, which is nice, too. So, you know, Husker stuff, man. I love some Husker stuff. I don't know. We want to chop it up. Well, I'll tell you what. We could – we could. I can figure out another show for that. Is okay. this a long right. off season? And uh, sure. we need well, to – I, I, I have come to – I kind of started this podcast as a challenge to myself. Uh, I haven't had a lot of, okay, you know, you go through the brain injury recovery thing. And, and part of that is, is I've heard that 
I did, I have done not a good job of like speaking where I was years ago where I did a lot of public speaking and I enjoyed it and I kind of wanted to bring that stuff back into my life. Uh, so I started the podcast kind of as a challenge to myself and to interview people and to get better at interviewing people and to get better at talking to people. And the other reason is because I flat out do not have time to write the stories that I'd really like <laughs> to write. You know, because I'm terrible yeah. at taking an interview and making it into a story. But if I can do a podcast and and find out information like you today, finding out what does an executive producer do, uh, then I it's it's easier for me to do. It's easier for me to complete. I feel like I'm getting better at this, and I don't know where I'm going with this, other than. We have a long postseason or off season, and uh, I will still need content, and I need still need to come up with ideas. So uh, let's do it. Plus, yeah, whenever you're ready, I'm down. Plus, here's the thing: I know Joe Rogan can sit down and talk for five hours with somebody. <laughs> yeah, I I can't do that. Uh, we're at about forty five to fifty minutes on this, and the other thing is, is I like to keep the podcast about in that range because yeah. I don't. I don't think anybody should be forced to listen to me for more than an hour in the first place. <laughs> so yeah, we will... I produce our end report podcast and I'm pretty strict with Kevin uh, and Dan about keeping it to 30, 35 minutes. So it's pretty consumable. So I'm feeling yeah. you. That's, that's a good call. Yeah. So we'll end this for today and we'll figure out how we can, you know what, how we can come up with a Husker related Brett Baker show where you dish on all the inside stuff about all the other media crews. Oh, oh, that would be fun. And then I would be persona non grata forever, but I would be down for that. Okay. There you go. (laughs) All right. We're going to end our show there. This is John Johnston, uh, founder of Coordination, and Brett Baker, executive producer for 1011 News in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we both wish you a good, healthy, and safe winter because I know it's getting nasty out there. You guys take care, and thanks for listening. Go Big Red.